I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We're going to focus in on verse 25 today, though I venture to say I'll probably spend more time talking about the previous verses, but 25 is the application that we're looking at this morning. And... uh, and, but we're going to back up to 17 cause, to put it into context. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Our clothing is often determined by the kind of role we are fulfilling. So when we go to a wedding, we will wear one type of clothing, hopefully, And when we go to the beach, we will wear quite a different type of clothing. Our job can dictate the type of clothing we wear. Military personnel, number you are military personnel, you wear a uniform. Doctors wear a lab coat. Judges wear robes. Sometimes the clergy does as well. Prisoners in a jail have certain types of clothes they wear. And when the role changes, the clothes change. When a prisoner finishes his sentence, he takes off his clothes, uh, his prison clothes, and puts on regular clothes. When, uh, when I finish preaching today, I'll take this robe off. When uh, the doctor goes home, he takes off his lab coat. When the military personnel uh, stop being a soldier or an airman or a sailor, they put away their uniforms and they put on their civvies. When the role changes... The clothes change. And Paul uses this kind of language in the passage we're looking at today. Christians have put off the old man and put on the new man. They have moved from being like the Gentiles, which which means pagans, which means without reference to God. They have moved from being pagans to Christians. Their role in the world has changed. Therefore, they're supposed to look different. From verse 425, all the way into the beginning of chapter 6, Paul is telling us how being a Christian means that you look different than the world around you. And he's describing that into some detail. And then actually, uh, chapter 5 and on into 6, he goes into details about certain particular roles like husbands and wives and children, etc. When you become a Christian... Everything changes, and the way you look must change, and that's what he's talking about in this passage. Now today we're, we're picking up the first of these differences that come with being a Christian, verse 25, and that is that we are to put away falsehood and speak the truth 
with our neighbor. Now the first thing that I want to point out to you is that the Christian has a transformed relationship to truth. You'll notice in the description in verses 17 through 19 of these Gentiles or pagans that they walk in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So this definitely communicates to us that there is a problem with the pagan's way of thinking. Thinking. Now in Romans 1.18, Paul uh, talks about the same thing when he says that people generally push away the truth. It says there, the wrath of God is revealed uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They push the truth away by their unrighteousness. So pagans, non-believers, non-Christians, they have a bad relationship with the truth. Now the concept of truth is a hot topic today. And maybe in your own mind you're saying, you know, he's talking about truth. How, how can he even know that there is truth? Because when you start talking about truth, inevitably you'll have people in today's world who get very sensitive about it and especially if they don't share your viewpoint. And in our pluralistic society, many people have adopted the stance that no one can have the truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth. And if you say, I have the truth, then you're going to be called a fundamentalist or a bigot or some other nasty name. After the terrorist attacks, uh, Bill Clinton gave a speech to Georgetown University, and he said this in reference to the terrorists. He said, they believe, these terrorists believe, that because they have the truth, you either have to share that truth or you are a legitimate target. They think they have the truth, but we don't believe you can have the truth. We think every individual counts, therefore life is a pilgrimage. Most people today in our world believe that moral truth is an individual relative thing. This is the position President Clinton was espousing. What is right for me may not be right for you, and I'll decide that for myself. We think every individual counts. Everybody's perspective counts, and life is a pilgrimage, and one person's on this pilgrimage, and one person's on that pilgrimage, and you can't, you can't say one's right or one's wrong. That's the position that he's espousing in a position most people hold today out in the world. The most quoted verse in the Bible used to be John 3.16. Today, it's changed. The most quoted verse is Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. You know, nobody wants to be judged. Everybody wants to do whatever they want to do without any kind of repercussion, whatever. Well, there's a problem with this view and hopefully it's obvious, and maybe you've heard this before, but when you say there is no absolute truth, you're contradicting yourself because that statement is an absolute truth. There is no absolute truth is an absolute truth about truth that you're holding to. And if you say it is wrong to say anybody has the truth, it is wrong to ever say anybody has the truth, if you'll say that, well, that is in and of itself is a truth statement. And you're doing the very thing you're condemning. 
You're, you're coming from your perspective saying it's wrong for anybody to, to say they have the truth. And that in and of itself is a position, a belief, a truth, and so you're condemning the person. So put it in Bill Clinton's terms, you know, we don't believe there is truth. And because we don't believe this, we're more civilized than those people who think they have the truth and who are out to get us because we don't believe their truth. Well, he's doing the same thing they're doing. He's condemning their position just like they're condemning his position. The fact of the matter is we cannot avoid truth. Truth statements and belief systems, everybody has one. And they cannot all be correct. You know, if you say the sky is green and I say it's blue, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. It's not just a different perspective. Everybody holds to certain beliefs and truths. One is, one is the truth and the rest are false. The problem humans have today is not our concept of the truth, because everybody has a truth, everybody has a concept of truth. It's our relationship to the truth, the, the real truth. And when I say the truth, I mean what is really true. And of course, what we're espousing in the church is that Jesus Christ is the truth. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So when Jesus, what Jesus is claiming is that he is the way, the only way. There's not different truths. There's not different paths up the mountain that will all reach the pinnacle. No, Jesus is saying, I am the only way, the only path, the only truth. And Christians are those who have embraced that. Pagans reject the truth, Jesus Christ. That's who they're rejecting. They're rejecting that person, Jesus Christ. Now in verse 17, Paul says those outside of Christ, who is the truth, are living in the futility of their minds. They're darkening their understanding. They are ignorant because of the hardness of heart that they have. See, they have suppressed the truth, pushed it away. They don't want to have anything to do with the truth, and therefore their lives, their thinking, their understanding is futile and darkened and ignorant. That sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? But we're either right or we're wrong. Now, on the flip side of that is verse 20. Look at the description of the, the Christian, of these Ephesian Christians. We were saying the pagans' problem is in their thinking, in their minds, their, their way of understanding the world. Look at the, what has happened to the Christian. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Sounds a lot like school, doesn't it? You know, you, you have learned, you have heard, you were taught. Those are the verbs that Paul uses there. But we're not simply talking about grasping information. Let's break those three verbs down. I've put those in your outline. A couple of notes about it. First, he says, you learned Christ. What has happened to these Ephesians Christians, or what happens to anybody who becomes a Christian, is that they learn Christ. And last week, we talked a little bit about this, that the word learn there speaks of experience. It would be the word you would use in reference to the saying... You know, I learned that in the school of hard knocks. You know, if you've learned something in the school of hard knocks, it's, it's, not, 
You don't learn something in the school of hard knocks by picking up a book. You know, you've had an experience, uh, you learn the hard way, uh, but you learn the lesson by actually going and doing and having an experience. That's what this word means. You had an experience of Christ. You learned Christ by experiencing him. You learned him. You encountered him in your life. And you learned something by that encounter. These Christians, any Christian who has learned Christ, uh, has had an experience of Christ. They have learned him. He's the content. Secondly, he says that you have heard him. In some translations, in fact, the translations in our pew, it says you heard about him. That word about is not in the original, uh, in the Greek. Uh, the, I don't know why they put that in there. Um, but if you have an NIV or a King James, it's not in there. It's the only place in the ESV that, I've, that I have a problem with in the translation. Otherwise, it's a great translation. But this word about is not here because it's more than just information about Christ, they have heard him. And we talked a little bit about this last week as well. They have heard him, not an audible voice that you know, came to them in the, in the darkness while they were laying on their bed or in some uh, retreat they were on. They heard Christ when they heard him preached, when the apostles came to them and proclaimed God's word to them. They heard Christ. And it's a little bit more than just hearing a sermon or hearing some teaching. They, they didn't just get some information. Uh, they didn't just become religious because that's the difference between a true Christian and just a religious person. A religious person uh, has information they believe. But the, the true Christian has information that has become real to the heart. It goes back to the first point. They have heard Christ. They've had an experience of Christ. When they heard the preaching, they embraced Christ. As Psalm 34 puts it, they, they tasted and saw that the Lord is good. They, they knew intellectually what was being taught, that God is good, but they also embraced Christ and found out by experience that he was good. So they... Not only learned Christ, they heard Christ. And it says here that they were taught in him. The third, the third verb that Paul uses about the experience the Ephesian Christians has and what every Christian has. A Christian is taught in Christ, united to him. You, you have a relationship with him in which you have been united to him and you share in everything that Christ has experienced. So, all the, all the benefits that come from everything that Christ did in his life are yours. And this is very important for how we live our lives. Because this makes all the difference in the world. You have been taught in Christ by being united to him. You know that you are united to him at all points of his activity on your behalf. As Christians, we share in his death. The Bible says you're baptized into his death. So his death, the penalty that he paid, is for you. You share in that. It, it, his death is your death. You share in his resurrection. You know, because he was raised from the dead, you know one day you will be raised from the dead. You share in his ascension. We have been raised with him in his heavenly session. Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and we sit him with him 
positionally in the heavenly places so that our life is hidden with Christ and God, the Bible talks about. And we will share in his promised return as well. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him in glory. So everything that Christ has secured and everything that Christ has, the believer has that as well. So we have been taught in Christ. By being united with him, we have a certain experience of the world, a certain perspective on the world. We know that this world is not all there is. We know who we are in Christ. We're not just stumbling and fumbling through this world uh, as food for worms, as uh, I had a lady tell me one time. No, we are sons and daughters of the king. We have a, a hope that is not just wishful thinking, but uh, an eternity that is secure, that we're looking forward to. So whether we're rich or poor or, or you know, whatever happens to us, whether the, the world likes us or not, it doesn't matter because the one person in all the universe that matters accepts us in Christ. And we are his. We are his children and we'll be welcomed in, into his arms forever one day when he returns. And see, that is where our holy living flows from. Recognizing who we are and where we're going. Recognizing the truth. We have a new truth. The truth. What's really real. Because, you know, the world tells us certain things that we need. You know, you need a new phone. You need a new car. You need this. You know, a lot of, the, a lot of our uh, culture is centered around materialism. And if you have all these things, then your life is good. Well, we know different than that that the real value lies in what God has secured for us. You know, the phone is going gonna, is gonna to become uh, last year's model in a very short period of time. And the commercial is going to come on and say, you should be embarrassed by that phone you've got. You need to get the latest one. And the car is going to wear out and get mileage. And as soon as you drive it off the lot, it depreciates vastly. So it's no good. It's not going to last forever. And you can't take any of this with you. We have learned in Christ what's really real, what's really valuable. And so my relationship as a Christian, my relationship to the entire universe has changed, particularly in the area of truth. You notice what Paul says the Christian has learned. Verse 22, you've learned in Christ to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That word, that phrase, deceitful desires, is important because deceitful speaks to the truth. To be deceitful means that you cause someone to have misleading or erroneous views concerning the truth. Desires. This word desires is uh, often translated lust. And, of course, we think of that in terms of sexual lust, but the word is not, is not limited to that. The word means literally over-desire. And so you have passages, Galatians 5, for example, that says the desires of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh are against the spirit, and the lusts of the spirit are against the flesh. Imagine that, the spirit lusting. Well, it's the same word. The spirit has a desire, a, a strong desire. The flesh has a strong desire, and they're at war with one another. It's what he's talking about, the old man and the new man. There's this war going on. Where are our desires? Where are they placed? There are certain things that the world tells us that we need, that the world says, oh, you've got to have that. 
things that we set our hearts and our minds upon, which we think will fulfill us. The world tells us it will fulfill us. The world will say, you'll be satisfied if you have this. You'll have peace. You'll have security. Uh, it could be any number of things. It could be our job, our bank account, the relationship that we're pursuing, uh, the latest gadget, whatever it is. Deceitful desires telling us that we in our hearts want to go after them and we think, oh, if we just had that, everything would be okay, but it turns out to be fool's gold. C.S. Lewis expressed it this way, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the author offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. When Christ enlightens you, when you learn Christ, you begin to see that there's something so much more than this world has to offer. The eyes of the heart have been enlightened, as it says in Ephesians 1.18, and we're being transformed in our relationship to the world and how we view it. We're being shaped and molded into the image of Christ. We become people of the truth. That phrase comes from John 18. When Jesus appears before Pilate, Pilate says to Jesus, So, you're a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. See, Jesus is pointing us to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? That's what the world is saying today, what is truth? And can you even know truth? And Jesus Christ saying, I am the truth. And anyone who is of the truth listens to my voice and understands what's really happening in the world, understands where this all is heading, and trusts him. Christians are of the truth, and they listen to Christ's voice because he is the truth. Now, notice verse 23. It says that we are to put off the old man, put, on the new, uh, put off the old man, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The spirit of your minds, to have that re re renewed. And the word mind refers to our understanding, our thinking, our perception. So our understanding is being renewed. The Christian thinking is transformed. And therefore, the desires of the heart are changed. If your goal is to reach the top of the corporate ladder, you're going to make certain decisions based on that. If you think, if I could just get there, then my life will be worth living. And of course, once you get there, you're going to think, well, it's not that great. I need something else. But what God is saying to us in Christ this is what's really real. This is what's true. And when you say yes to that, then the desires of your heart will change. You'll be pursuing something beyond this world, uh, something that is lasting, and something the world can't take away from you, no matter whether there's difficulties or tribulation or trials, or if the world even hates you. It won't matter because you've got the proper perspective on things. So see, our relationship to the truth has changed as believers. And it's no mistake that the first example that Paul gives us of being transformed in our thinking, uh, of putting off the old man and putting on the new man, is verse 25. 
He's been talking to us about truth and, and being transformed in our relationship to truth. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, since you've, all, you've put it away, you're following the truth. You've put away falsehood. Therefore, let it affect the way that you live your life. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And that brings me to a second point. The Christian has a transformed relationship with truth in relation to the body of Christ. Because we have a new relationship to the truth, we live a life of truth. The new reality or truth about which we are living is that we are members of the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Look, your perspective has changed. You know, as before, as pagans, you would lie. You would deal in falsehood to get ahead, to get whatever it was that you're, you're, you were pursuing. But now, your perspective has changed. You are a member of the body of Christ. Therefore, put away falsehood and speak the truth with one another. The body speaks truth to itself. John Chrysostom, preacher from way, way back yonder, he says this, If the eye sees a serpent, does it deceive the foot? If the tongue tastes what is bitter, does it deceive the stomach? He was writing about three or four hundred, so to interpret what he's saying, he's saying, look, the body does not lie to itself. If you see a, a, a snake, a poisonous snake, with your eyes, it's going to tell your feet, oh, go jump on top of that thing, that'll be fun. No, your, your mind tells you, your eye tells you, you know, run in the opposite direction. And if you see there's poison there, your, your, your tongue, you taste something and you say, oh, that, that's not good you're not just going to drink it down because your tongue is telling you, sending a message to your stomach saying, you don't want that. The body does not lie to itself, is what he's saying. And that's, he's making a spiritual point. The body, if we are the body of Christ, and we're all members of the body of Christ, we do not deceive one another. We're honest with one another. We're true to one another. And that's the point. We do not lie but we encourage one another by speaking the truth in love, as it says in verse 15. You know, some people like to speak the truth. They, they wield it like a hammer, and they'll beat you with it. But Paul says, look, you've got to speak the truth in love. There has to be both truth and love. Some people like to speak the truth without love. Some people like to love, and they'll never, never tell you the truth because they think they're being loving. I don't want to say anything that would make them upset or angry. Allowing people to go on when their house is on fire. Well, I don't want to tell you your house is on fire because you might get upset with me. We must marry the two to love and speak the truth, both. That's what the body does for itself, speaks the truth in love. So the body speaks truth to itself because we have this new relationship to the truth. We don't try to deceive one another. We're honest with one another. And we, we struggle with that, certainly. Now, I would venture to say most of us are not liars. We don't sit there and tell bald-faced lies to one another in the church. But we do struggle with the truth in that we deceive one another and saying, oh, we're okay. We've got it all together. And, and I'm, I'm okay and I'm really uh, holy and a strong believer when we're really struggling. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to be transparent with one another and real with one another. 
Why do we do that? Because we have forgotten what Christ has done for us. We've forgotten our position in Christ. We've forgotten where we're headed. We've forgotten who we are in Christ. And we lie or deceive when our hearts get set on the wrong desires. For example, you might call me up and say, Well, Tim, have you started that project you said you were going to start for me? And I say, "Uh Uh-oh. I don't say that out loud in my mind. I say, "Uh uh-oh, I forgot completely. Oh, yes, I was just about to get started on that. Well, the, the truth of the matter is, I don't want to tell the truth because I don't want you to see me as incompetent or irresponsible. And what is controlling my heart at that moment is a desire to be viewed as competent and responsible. I think as long as people uh, have that perception of me, then I'm good. I'm okay. But that's really not the truth, because now I've fallen deeper into sin by becoming a liar uh, as well. What I should do is confess my failure and ask forgiveness. And be real, recognizing that I'm a fallen human being in need of grace and mercy and patience. If I recognize that, it will, it will help me to be transparent. See, I have embraced the real truth about myself and it's changed the way that I behave. Because my desires were wrong, it produced a lie. And we lie for many reasons, to get acceptance or to just to be selfish. You know, oh, tell them I'm not here because you just really don't want to fool with that person. Those are lies that we might tell that might be socially acceptable lies. But when we do that, we have forgotten the spiritual realities that should control our behavior. Now finally, the body speaks truth to the world. I'm I'm pulling this out of the text a little further than the text is saying it. uh, but, But we are the body of Christ. It's affirming that here. We are members of the body and therefore we should speak truth to our neighbor. But being the body of Christ, we represent Christ on earth. You know, we are his arms and his legs, some people like to say. Uh, We we are, as the church, as the body of Christ, we are to show Christ to the world. Now, if we're false, we're not doing that faithfully. When we are uh, deceiving people, when we lie, we're not showing Christ. When we're hypocrites, that's a form of deception because we're pretending to be something that we're not. And that's a lie. You know, the, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, who's quoting Leviticus, be holy for I am holy. Well, yeah, we are to be holy because he is holy, because we are the body of Christ and he's holy. We should accurately reflect that and to To do that is to put away falsehood and to be uh, faithful in the world, to represent Christ in the world. So hopefully that will motivate us as the body of Christ to be true, to be faithful, uh, to be honest, to have integrity in all of our dealings in life. I mean, we don't have time to explore. Uh, I've given you the Heidelberg Catechism on the the Ninth Commandment that uh, describes a bit about what it means to fulfill that commandment, to, be, uh, to, bear, uh, to not bear false witness, which is the same as do not lie. But we want to represent Christ to the world faithfully. May the Lord give us grace uh, to further understand the truth about who he is, about what he's done for us, and about who we are in Christ, 
and to be able to have our desires molded by that so that we can be faithful to him as we deal with one another and as we uh, witness to the world. Let's pray together.